Hi, my name is Fiona Zeiger and you're listening to the Migration Podcast. In this episode, we turn our attention to exploring the relationship of migration with climate change. Here to speak about his research is Patrick Sakta-Polrak, who explores migration as climate change adaptation strategy. With my colleague Milena Belloni, he discusses translocal social resilience and whether migration can have an impact on sustainability practices. Today, we're very honored to have with us um, Patrick Sakta-Polrak. Patrick has been working on migration and climate change for a long time and uh, has uh, kindly agreed to be with us today. Thanks for having me. You know, here at the Migration Podcast, we're always interested in knowing a bit more about the background of our guests, uh, how they become interested in uh, in the topic that uh, that they're they're now expert on. So, what is the the personal and professional trajectory that led you to the topic of climate change and migration? I think my in- interest and also fascination with the, the topic of migration goes back to kind of my own migration experience, if you want. So part of my family is coming from Thailand, part of the other part from Germany, and now I live in, 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 in Austria. And I have also lived a substantial part of my childhood, for example, in, in Thailand. So this experience to be here and there, uh, to be between north and south, was uh, I think shaping me quite substantially. So when it came to the decision to, to study something uh, after high school, uh, I decided to study geography and social anthropology, which was, I think, a good choice because it uh, addressed kind of this issue that uh, was of interest for me. And at the end of my master's, I uh, had the chance to do a master thesis on the topic of migration as livelihood strategy in Northeast Thailand. Uh, the field work um, lived in a, a monastery for a few weeks and conducted um, kind of interviews and surveys. And it was a really uh, great experience, which uh, I want to repeat uh, afterwards. Yeah, so I, I stayed in, at the, in academia, did the PhD, and I took up the topic of migration again as a postdoc there. I had the, the, the chance to work with Coco Warner, who was uh, leading uh, a group in the UNUHS, which was based in Bonn, where I also did my um, PhD and, and, and postdoc and was able to join two projects on the issue of uh, climate change and migration. And um, that was kind of a, a lucky coincidence that they were there and they searched for researchers to be integrated in their project. And um, we went to Ethiopia uh, for exploratory research and then uh, also um, I led a research campaign in, in Thailand and became involved in the topic of climate change, environmental change and migration. And based on that experience, I wrote a, a, a proposal and got a, a big um, a research grant, which financed me for five years and a group also of five PhDs for five years where, where I could continue to do research on um, climate change and migration. And uh, since I'm in Vienna uh, with more permanent position, I, can, I, I, I um, pursue kind of this these two topics, which are besides kind of this more kind of personal reasoning why I'm doing it, of course, uh, one of the two, two of the big global challenges that, that uh, we are dealing with and uh, where I want to contribute with my, my research. The concept of migration as adaptation and translocal social resilience are key in your work. 
Um, could you explain them to us in simple terms and explain why this concept should be used by other scholars working on the same topic of migration and climate change? <laughs> so to start with the concept of migration and adaptation, I think it's important to, to see that migration can be both uh, successful adaptation and failed adaptation. So you, you can have the case where there's a big drought and um, people are in distress and they have no other option than to, to, to leave their, their, their place to, to, to seek help uh, somewhere else. And we very often see this, this uh, also media reports uh, from the, the Horn of Africa, uh, for example. This is kind of a case of um, failed adaptation uh, in place and then kind of distress in, um, migration and or, or displacement in the, in the context of, uh, of an extreme event. Um, but on the other hand, migration can be used by households and we see this in, in many cases uh, when we, we, we look at rural livelihoods and diversification of rural livelihoods that uh, households decide that in, 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 in difficult times uh, due to um, uh, environmental risks um, to, to send uh, household members to work in the city right and to, to earn cash income and uh, and uh, these people are sending money back and uh, so the household can Kind of stay in place part of the household can can stay in place and maintain their kind of well-being while somebody uh, used migration to secure this kind of uh, um, situation and i would categorize this as a, a way of uh, a successful adaptation where kind of people make decisions have agency um, to to deal with a difficult um, situation and i think the importance of the concept of migration adaptation as a, a bit of counter narrative to to more apocalyptic uh, stories uh, about uh, sinking islands is that uh, it places a um, greater importance of uh, the the ability of people to make decisions the agency uh, of people in in the context of uh, of being faced with, uh, with drought or floods and so on and so forth so they are not only passive victims that need help from outside interventions, but there are also people with agency who can make uh, make decisions. And where migration is then one one possibility to maintain kind of well-being and to to maintain livelihood security. I think this um, this is not um, denying that there is also uh, displacement, uh, of course, in the context of uh, extreme events. But there's also this more proactive uh, forms of, of migration. And it just shows that migration can be many things and it's not per se good or bad. Uh, and we have to see the implications for the people themselves, but also for the places of origin and destination when we judge and when we assess um, uh, migration. Uh, when it comes to translocal social resilience, uh, for me, it's an approach that um, forces us to think about human capabilities or what can people do in the context of uh, risky environments uh, while acknowledging um, that we live in an in interconnected world. I think in to put in simple words, that's about, uh, that, that is the, the, the core idea. And um, um, to, to give an example, when we worked with um, um, our research partners, it's an NGO in, in Thailand, they, they do a lot of work on climate change adaptation um, and um, so preparing community to to, to deal with uh, difficult uh, environmental uh, risks and hazards. Um, 
and very often uh, kind of these programs, they're focused on the community and not acknowledging that this community is basically characterized by migration. So lots of people are not there, right? So still they have an, um, an, an influence on the community. They send money back, they come back uh, from time to time, they, they send ideas uh, um, back. And um, so when we talk about community climate change adaptation, you need to acknowledge that uh, this community is not isolated you hardly find any isolated communities in the world anymore i guess but these communities are connected and connected among other things through migration and the uh, concept of uh, translocal social resilience uh, seeks to to help to 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 understand this connectedness and the implication of this connectedness so for research but also for uh, for, for, for policy making, because if you acknowledge uh, the interconnectedness through migration, for example, that people move somewhere and then live somewhere and, and then they're integrated and embedded uh, somewhere, it uh, forces you to also think about, ah, okay, what about the, uh, the immigration policies and settlement policies, for example? Uh, what implication it has on the ability of migrants to to send money back home, uh, for example, and um, so it uh, also broadened the the focus of um, of adaptation policy making. I think uh, it's also something that uh, this transnational social resilience approach is um, 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 facilitating. You are definitely working on a very fashionable topic, uh, I would say, Patrick. Uh, mm -hmm. I imagine that you receive a lot of requests from journalists, policymakers who would like to know your insight into possible future scenarios and how to mitigate the impact of climate change. How do you feel about this? Yeah, from time to time, we, 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 I get requests uh, from the media, and uh, you are right, the this uh, topic is also some uh, topic that is um, on the agenda of policymakers. So there's also interaction with um, policymakers. Before I come to the the, the geography, uh, just one observation that I um, have made, and I think many other uh, colleagues have made as well, that there um, there's the obsession with numbers um, basically, and as you mentioned, projections. So media um, or journalists and also policymakers want numbers, want to know how many uh, climate migrants we have already, how many we can expect in future. Um, and uh, and if you're coming from, from the academia, you're a bit reluctant to give numbers because you know that uh, the, the old numbers are at, at best guesstimates, um, uh, as a colleague called it, so rough estimates. And even the newer numbers, who are, which are more based on uh, sophisticated bonding, they're attached to uh, kind of high, high uncertainties. For example, the, the groundswell report, and the, the different scenarios, and the number of uh, potential um, internal climate migrants range from uh, 31 million in the kind of uh, also the best uh, scenario up to uh, 143 uh, million in the worst scenario, worst case scenario right this is kind of uh, uh, shows the, the the amount of uncertainty that are, are linked to these numbers and in one meeting uh, we, we went to to Brussels in the context of a project that I uh, was part of and the policymaker came and said, Come, come on, uh, just from gut feeling, just just put some numbers on the table because we, we need some numbers. And I felt like, uh, what, is, what is the value of having some numbers uh, just uh, uh, out there? And I have the impression that it, 
it on the one hand gives a sense of certainty. So if there's numbers, so there's kind of okay, there's something out there and control in a way. Okay, if we know how how many, we we also know how to deal with. And on the other hand, of course, what is really important, it gives a sense of um, uh, urgency. So um, and uh, no wonder that uh, from this Groundswell report, um, the number that is always quoted is the number 143 uh, million and not uh, 31 million, of course, because that gives the sense of urgency. Okay, this is quite a, a big number of people, and we need to do something about it. So I, I'm. Uh, skeptical because migration is so complex and in last IPCC report we it's uh, one of the main um, message was that oh, climate change will have an implication on on um, on human mobility uh, but it's very context specific and it can lead to less mobility more mobility change direction of mobility so uh, it's very difficult um, still to make um, projections that meets kind of uh, the, the reality uh, to a specific um, degree. And then there are also um, um, difficulties with using these numbers. If you use the numbers to, to create a sense of emergency, you also create somehow fear, right? Because the implicit, it's not always, the implicit notion is, of course, that the people are moving to, to us in Europe or to us in, in the US. And, uh, oh, uh, and, and there are so many people that will uh, create uh, uh, chaos, we'll be able to, to accommodate them all. So there's also this bit fear mongering, if you, you want, that is implicit very often in, when, when, when the use of these numbers. And then it also distracts uh, us from the fact that many people are not able to move, right? They, they, they don't have the resources to move. They have to stay. And, um, uh, and uh, we know actually that uh, very often these are the, the most vulnerable uh, people who, who are um, uh, involuntary, immobile, who are, have to stay despite the need to move or despite the prospect. If you're moving, you can go improve your, your situation. Uh, thanks, Patrick. Your uh, answer showed uh, how like uh, there is a big talk and attention about how climate change will influence migration. But I have the feeling there is much less talk about how migration can impact climate change and sustainability patterns. Mm -hmm. What role do you think migrants can play to deter climate change or improve sustainability, according to your work? Could you give us some uh, examples? Yeah, uh, I think... It is a very important topic. It's the starting point of uh, our, um, very often the starting point of our research. So uh, the example that I gave before, right? Um, um, NGO is working in uh, in villages in, in, in Thailand, not acknowledging that there is um, there's migration and uh, flows of resources of knowledge um, um, is, is is something that um, uh, we, we basically we try we we try to change. So the, the starting point of our consideration is that migration is there anyway already. I'm a migrant. I don't know. Uh, I think you are also a, a migrant too. <laughs> uh, um, and um, and many many people uh, are migrants. My assumption is this, of course, has an implication, has an implication for not only for the migrants themselves, uh, in, in very often in terms of social mobility, but implications for the place of destination where people move to, but also for the place uh, of origin in terms of um, flows of resources. And 
that. From from our research, we were particularly interested in in on the one hand um, how it increases the ability of, of households to to deal with climate risks, so climate change adaptation. So we, we have different examples of of families with migrants, uh, also international migrants, who use their their money to to buy more land and to, to grow not only rice but also other crops to kind of diversify their uh, agricultural production in order to be less sensitive to a specific natural hazard, uh, for, ex for example, but also to kind of diversify their livelihoods beyond uh, agriculture, uh, where people establish shops, um, creating um, um, uh, kind of other in in income earning opportunities. Uh, I think that is there. And we have also... Um, um, examples where um, in, in, in from our research from Northeast Thailand where kind of migrants were uh, so people who lived in, in the, the city for, for a while and returned to their, their place of their parents, to a place of origin, uh, came back with new ideas, for example, to, to do more organic farming, uh, which is good for the um, environment, but it's also good for, for earning money because they know in the cities there's a, um, a demand for, for rice from um, kind of organic farming for a more kind of specific variety of rice, for example, uh, not kind of the, the standard white rice, which uh, you normally eat and where you can get also um, higher higher income with it. So uh, Michael came back and introduced this uh, organic farming uh, um, and convinced others in the village to do it in the same way. But I think what is also important to also not overestimate uh, the, the impact of migration because places are not only linked to uh, migrants, but also linked to um, many other kind of uh, relations, trade relations, uh, and so on and so forth. And very often, this, um, particularly in well-connected places, these are stronger driving force of change than uh, migrants um, are. Do you mean like media, for instance, in the internet? Yeah, media, internet, but also um, uh, trade relations. The, this area is uh, uh, transformed by sugarcane production, which is something that is uh, a kind of a top-down change, right? Uh, uh, through the specific decision from, from the policy sphere and from the market where kind of a big change in rural areas is uh, pushed. Uh, people are engaging with it, with this cash crop where they can earn a, a quite substantial amount of, of money. So this kind of trade policy relations is uh, transforming a place. So in compared to that force, uh, migration uh, is a much smaller force of, uh, of, of change in terms of sustainability, for example, um, in, in the areas where we, we, we did research. So um, coming back to the point about not uh, also uh, romanticizing, overestimating the potentiality of migration. It, I think it's uh, important and it's, it's something that is very tangible for particularly for, for, for people in households directly, but also it, it's in context of other drivers of change um, that is uh, transforming um, rural societies uh, around the world. That's true. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for being with us today and uh, good luck with your uh, fascinating work. Thank you very much, Milena. Patrick Sakta-Polrak is Professor for Population Geography and Demography at the University of Vienna.